So we'll, we'll start with Matthew 14 here in a little bit. And uh, I warn you ahead of time, we won't be staying there for long. We'll be bouncing around a little bit. But uh, what we've been doing over the past several weeks, we've been uh, looking at some practical helps for our Christian lives. And so uh, we looked several weeks ago at our motives for serving, and we saw that there's many different reasons why people serve the Lord. Some people serve Him out of uh, guilt, some out of greed, some of them out of fear. Uh, but we believe that the right motivation for us to serve the Lord, we should serve Him out of love. We should serve Him out of gratitude. And uh, we went from that, we looked at uh, how there is a necessity for balance in our Christian lives, that we as human beings are prone to extremes. We like to overreact, we overcorrect, we overemphasize. And the illustration that I often use is uh, that life is like a road with two ditches. And the devil doesn't care which ditch you fall into. He just wants you to be too far one way or the other. And even with the idea of our motives, where we find out that we don't have to serve God out of fear, then a lot of people will say, well, I'm not going to serve him at all. And so they, in a way, they overcorrect or they go too far the other direction. And, and so that's how those two kind of tied together. But we, we get prone to uh, this imbalance in our lives. We'll get uh, focused on one doctrine, one teaching, one uh, idea, and we will emphasize it at the exclusion of other ones that are just as valid and just as important. Uh, we see this in uh, doctrine, for instance, where some people will overemphasize God's sovereignty. And then on the other hand, on the other ditch, people over, overemphasize uh, man's free will. And so then you end up with Calvinists on one side, Armenian on the other, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have these uh, imbalances where someone gets focused on one aspect at the uh, exclusion of another. In Christianity, we find that some will be completely focused on the love of God. And so they speak on the love of God, the love of God, and they make it as if uh, God is all love, but they, uh, they don't talk about his holiness. They don't talk about his justice. Uh, and so we, we exclude different things. And I think some of it is because of our, our limited ability to comprehend some of these things when we're talking about God. It's hard for us to uh, put the two sides together. It's hard for us to find that balance. And so it can be with anything. Some people get obsessed with politics. There's nothing wrong with politics until you become obsessed with it. Uh, some people get obsessed with their jobs. Nothing wrong with having a job. You need a job. The Bible says if a man doesn't work, neither shall he eat. But if you focus on your job at the exclusion of everything else, you're imbalanced. And so there's a necessity to have balance in our Christian lives. From there, we looked at guarding our hearts. The Bible says guard, your, guard our hearts diligently, for out of them are the issues of life. And so all of our desires, our decisions, our direction comes out of the condition of our heart. Uh, the Bible tells us very clearly that we're not to let our heart lead us. Our heart's not to be our guide, but instead we need to lead our heart. We need to guard it. We need to protect it because there's so many things that will uh, defile our heart, that will cause it to be chasing after things that are unhealthy, that are not good for us. Mm -hmm. And so we need to guard our hearts. And then last week what we looked at uh, was convictions and standards, uh, which often ends up being a controversial topic because people try to impose their personal convictions and standards on other people. Right. And they leave out that idea that they are personal. Yeah. 
And so what one person may need to uh, guard themselves against, something they may need to put up boundaries and protections against because of maybe their personalities, maybe their hang-ups, their uh, sins that they are uh, struggling with, yes. Uh, they may need to set up some extra boundaries that others may not need. Now, we don't want to be foolish at this or proud at this and think that we don't need those boundaries and run headlong into problems, right? And so as we look at convictions and standards, uh, we need to start by desiring to please God. That should be our number one desire. It's not what pleases my flesh, what do I desire to do, but our desire to, should be to please God. And then we determine to apply God's commands and his principles to our lives so we can uh, receive God's best both now and in eternity. And so not everything in the Bible is uh, neatly spelled out. Not everything in our lives is neatly spelled out in Scripture. And so with those things, we use biblical principles and a heart for God, and we allow those to bring us to the point where we are convinced about things. We read in Scripture and we come to a place where we are convinced. We uh, come to church and we hear teaching, we discuss it, we meditate on it, different things like that, and we become convinced of certain things. We say, I believe this is God's will. I believe this is what God wants. I believe this is what God's principles are leading me to do. And so we become convinced. We become convicted by it. And that's what convictions are. It is taking God's principles and his commands and allowing them to thoroughly convince us of what God is saying, what God's word is teaching, what God's will for us is. Okay? And so in these things that are not clearly spelled out in Scripture, sometimes we're going to arrive at different places. There have been good men who have uh, loved God, uh, studied Scripture, uh, rightly divided Scripture, and have ended up on differing points in many different places in Scripture. And it doesn't mean that one of them is of God and one of them is a devil. It just means that they have came to a different place and their convictions about certain things. And that's okay. We have to allow for grace. We have to give a little bit of uh, latitude to people to see things slightly different in Scripture. Now, I'm not talking about heresy. I'm not talking about taking uh, the clear truths from God's Word and denying them. But I'm saying that sometimes we are going to arrive at different places, and I have to realize that I'm a fallible human being, and I might get it wrong occasionally. They might get it wrong occasionally. And we're not going to know this out of heaven, which one's which. But we do need to be thoroughly convinced in our own hearts and in our own mind so that we have a clear conscience before God. Okay? And so we have convictions, and then that brings us to the standards. A standard is boundaries, is rules that we set up for ourselves personally to keep us from violating our convictions. And we talked about several things last week, and some of them controversial. And I didn't end up putting it online because I figured I would probably end up having the wrong person listen to it, and I get myself in trouble. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that's one of the things with controversy, I guess. But anyway, um, whenever we arrive at these standards, these are things that we set up for ourselves personally to keep ourselves from uh, violating our conscience, from violating our convictions, and violating the beliefs that we have uh, through the principles that we've studied out so that we can walk with God, walk with Him with a clear conscience, and keep ourselves from going beyond and falling into sin, falling into difficulties, okay? And it doesn't come down to, okay, I'm trying to, to walk the line between right and wrong. I'm trying to 
say no to the to the okay or to the the good because I want the best in my life. Okay, so I'm desiring God's best in my life, and so I'm going to put these boundaries up, not so I don't fall into the pit, but so I don't get near the pit. Okay, and that is for myself. And so whenever I set up these standards, these boundaries for myself, it's not for me to come up here and tell you that all of you have to see it the same way, all of you have to do it the same way as me. Okay? So I teach the principles, I teach the commands, and then from there, God works in your heart to help you to be thoroughly convinced and to set up standards for your life. And honestly, if you don't want to serve God, if you have no desire for His best in your life, if you're not too concerned about what pleases him, then the rest of this is irrelevant until you get your heart right with God. Because there's no amount of rules that I can give you that is going to make you holy. There's no amount of uh, standards that you can put on that is going to clean you up because it starts with the inside and comes outward. Okay? And so with all of that, today we're going to be discussing a key component that is often lacking in Christian lives, but it is essential for a healthy Christian life. And it is one that is oftentimes overlooked or uh, underemphasized. And what I'm talking about is prayer. Okay? A lot of times we, we talk about prayer, but it's become sort of too familiar, too old hat. It's just uh, almost cliche now. Mm-hmm. and people have things going on and say, well, I'll pray for you, and then we probably don't, right? We know that we have uh, a need to have a prayer life with God, but then a lot of times our lives get too busy and we neglect it. Sometimes we don't see the necessity of praying. Uh, I think in the culture which we live in uh, with the really an affluent society, uh, I've said this before, but I'll say it again, By history standards, uh, most of the people who live in the West today would qualify as being rich. Mm -hmm. Because there's none of us that I know of that's had to worry this week about having enough food to eat. Mm -hmm. None of us have been in danger of not having clothes to wear. We've all had a roof over our heads. Maybe uh, partially incomplete or a leaky one. (laughs) You know. And so we've had all of these things that in past generations would have been considered a luxury. Uh, We look at uh, the Lord's Prayer, and it says, Give us this day our daily bread, and that seems almost humorous to us, right? Because with the multitude of stuff that we have, with full freezers, with pantries full of all kinds of different things, the idea of praying to God to supply our daily bread is a foreign concept to us, right? Mm -hmm. And so the reason I bring these things out is that prayer can be lost on us because uh, for the most part, we have our physical needs taken care of, and we don't realize that prayer is essential for our spiritual health. That it's not just about, okay, God, I'm in trouble, deliver me from this trouble, but it is about keeping a relationship going on with the God of heaven. Uh, Just as as an example here, Uh, communication is necessary for any relationship. In a marriage relationship, me and Les, we've been married for almost 20 years now. And with that, uh, we could stay married for another 20 years if we live that long and never talk again. But what kind of relationship would we have? 
if we had a relationship where we only came together whenever there was business to handle, if there was an issue that came up in uh, the household finances or taking care of the kids or something like that, we had to come together and have almost a business meeting and consult about that, and that was our only interaction, what kind of relationship would Les and I have? There wouldn't be one. And so for us to have a proper relationship, there needs to be communication. There needs to be frequent communication, right? And that's where prayer comes in as well, is salvation and the Christian life is a relationship with God. We are spending our life down here below uh, getting to know the God we're going to spend eternity with. Salvation is only the beginning, and whenever we get saved, we're introduced to him, to his love for us, to the price that he paid for us, but he has promised that after we're done in this life, that we have an eternity to spend with him, that he has prepared a place for us, right? Mm -hmm. And even the picture, whatever he tells us, uh, that I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house as many mansions, and if it, were no, or if it were not so, I would have told you. In that whole uh, illustration that he is giving us, it is the idea of the groom going away after the betrothal of the spouse to build up the house and get everything ready for his bride so that whenever he gets everything set, everything ready, he comes and gets his bride and takes her home to be with him. Right. We find that the church is compared to being the bride. We find that there's talk of the, the marriage supper of the lamb one of these days when we get to heaven. So all these ideas of marriage are there, right? right. And so right now during this betrothal period, during this phase where he has went away to prepare a place for us, we are waiting for him to return and we should be, as the bride, excited about the wedding day, excited about the groom. And so we are learning about him. We are building a relationship with him, preparing for that marriage. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so that's what we're doing right now. And so for the Christian, they get saved. That's just the beginning. Oh, how much he loved me. He died for me. He was willing to forgive me, though I was unworthy, So though I undeserved it, or I didn't deserve it. But he was willing to give everything for me now I want to learn about this God who loved me so much. I want to learn some want to learn about this Christ who loved me so much. I want to learn about the one I'm going to spend eternity with. And so with that, it's this relationship. And the two key components to the relationship would be prayer and study of the scriptures, which is what we'll look at next week. And so prayer is us talking to God, and his word is him talking to us. Okay? And so a lot of people have the idea, okay, I want why isn't God speaking to me? They're looking for an audible voice. They're wanting to, uh, they're wanting the heavens to shake and uh, like the like Paul on the road to Damascus, right? The skies open up and light shine down and a booming voice sound like Charlton Heston, right? <laughs> and so that's what we're looking for. But in reality, God has put great effort into putting this book together and between it and his Holy Spirit, he speaks to us through his word. And... So the point I'm trying to get across here is we should hunger after his word. We should desire his word. We should uh, desire this time of prayer. It should be a time of sweet fellowship. It's this time of uh, being able to take all of our cares, all of our concerns to him and commune with him. And it's not something trite. It's not, uh, it's not something that should be cliche for us. But instead, it should be something special. It should be something that we value, that we are going to protect, that we are going to pursue. Mm -hmm. And so I've had you turn to Matthew chapter number 14, but I'm going to go through several different verses here 
just to get across the idea of the importance of prayer. And in the gospel accounts that tell of Jesus' life and his ministry, we easily see that Jesus put a great emphasis on prayer. I preached a message there a few weeks ago, if Jesus needed to pray, so do we. And just the idea that Jesus was God in the flesh, but yet he was still frequently stealing away to pray and spending great amounts of time to pray. So in Matthew chapter 14 and verse number 23, it says, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when, uh, when the even was come, he was there alone. He had sent the disciples away. He had sent the multitudes away. He had had a long day of ministering. And if it had been any of us, we would have said, I need a nap. I need to go to bed. I need to sleep, right? Yeah. And Jesus sent everyone away. And rather than napping, rather than sleeping, he's had a full day of ministry. He says, I need to spend time with my Father. I need to pray. Mm-hmm. Turn over a few pages to Matthew chapter 26. I've got these written down in order, so I'll just be flipping forward, hopefully. Matthew chapter 26, over in verse number 36. And this is as Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. This is where he's getting ready to give his life for us. He spent the time in the upper room with the disciples. He's uh, been teaching them and uh, all these different things. And after he gets done with with instituting the Lord's Supper... Uh, They sing a hymn. They go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus asks his disciples to pray with him. Right? Mm -hmm. And Jesus goes forward and he prays. And I'll go ahead and read it here. Verse number 36. It says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith to the disciples, Set ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto his disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What, could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then he goes away a second time, that comes back and they're asleep. Goes away a third time, comes back, and they're asleep. And that time he tells them, just go ahead and sleep. Okay? The next thing that we know, the the guards are coming with the, the priests and with Judas, and they arrest Jesus. But the importance of this passage is all of these things are going on, and what was most important to Jesus at that time was prayer. And on top of that, he brings his disciples along and he is instructing them that they need to pray. One of the things he says specifically is pray that you enter not into temptation. He says, your spirit indeed is willing, but your flesh is weak. Mm -hmm. We see this highlighted in Peter. Peter was very zealous. His spirit, right, was very zealous. He was ready to go. He pulled out his sword, cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. He was ready to go with Jesus to death, right? But yet, whenever he was around the the fire there and he was being questioned, said, well, you're one of Jesus' disciples. He says, no. Denies him three times, right? right? Jesus foresaw what what Peter was going to go through. He said, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have 
prayed for you, mm -hmm. right? You see this emphasis of prayer going on and on and how even in the difficult times or especially in the difficult times and the hard times, our first resort, our first priority should be prayer. Right. And so Jesus went to, the, went to God in prayer there. In Mark chapter number one, just a few more pages over. Verse number 35, this is after the, right around the passage that we preached on Sunday. But it says, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Now, once again, Jesus, he has been uh, in very rigorous ministry. He's been doing uh, all kinds of things, having people surrounding him, constantly multitudes flocking to him. And whenever he could have used the rest, it says that he woke up very early in the morning, found a place where it was quiet so he could pray. He knew as soon as the sun came up, as soon as people started waking up, there's going to be all kinds of people around me demanding my attention, demanding my time. But for right now, to prepare my heart, to prepare my mind, I need to make sure to spend some quiet time with God before the day begins. Mark chapter, uh, we won't turn there. I'll just go ahead and kind of go through these or we'll be here for a while and I won't get to what I'm wanting to. But Mark chapter 9, verse 29, when the disciples were unable to cast out the demon, they asked Jesus whenever he came and he did it immediately, why could we not cast him out? And Jesus replied and said, this kind cometh not but by prayer and fasting, right? Mm -hmm. He says, if you're wanting to do the works of God, if you're wanting to see the Lord work through you, then you're going to have to be praying. You're going to have to be depending on God. And that, that's getting ahead of myself just a little bit, but this is what prayer is, is showing that we are putting our emphasis, our uh, attention, our hope, our faith in God, not in ourselves, our own power, our own flesh. Right. And so with the disciples, as they were trying to cast out this demon, they'd done miracles. They had been able to do all of these great works and things. And so whenever they came to this demon, they said, oh, watch what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do this like I did all the rest of them. It was almost like whenever the uh, Israelites defeated Jericho and then they saw the next little town, Ai, and they said, well, we'll just go there. We're not even going to go to the Lord in prayer. We're not going to consult him because we think of our own abilities, our own power. We're able to overcome this enemy that's ahead of us. Mm -hmm. And so as the disciples uh, faced this enemy, they were doing it in their own strength. And you say, well, maybe I'm reading too much into that. But whenever Jesus says, this kind cometh not by not but by prayer and fasting, that's him saying you're going to have to depend on God. You're going to have to reach out to him. You're going to have to be looking outside of yourselves to do the works of God. Yeah. And so that lets me know that they weren't looking to God. They weren't um, depending on God at that time. They thought they were able to do it just like they had at other times, right? right? Mm -hmm. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 16, once again, Jesus withdrew to the wilderness to pray. Luke chapter 9 and verse 18, Jesus was alone praying. And we find that this is a, a repeated theme of going apart, going separate, going someplace quiet, going somewhere alone, going up in the mountain, going out in the wilderness, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a good idea to get lost in the woods, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But to come apart from all the hustle and bustle, remove yourself from all of those things so that you are actually able to have some quiet, to have some peace, 
so that you can get your thoughts together, you can actually meditate on the things of God. Yeah. And so Jesus did that regularly. Uh, in Luke chapter number 11, and this is a very uh, familiar passage of Scripture, but Jesus had been praying by himself quietly, and the disciples came to him during that time, and they asked him to teach them how to pray like John had taught his disciples. And I know I've brought this out in the past, but out of all the things that the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them, the thing that stuck out to them the most, the thing that they were seeing was making the most difference, the thing that seemed to be the most important to them was Jesus' prayer life. Mm -hmm. That wherever Jesus was going, he was praying. Uh, that he was constantly finding a place to get apart. He was putting so much emphasis on this, and the disciples copped on and found out that this is something we need to learn. Yeah. This is something we need to figure out because of how much emphasis Jesus is putting on this. It has to be important. Mm -hmm. And so they ask him, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples. And so Jesus gives them what we often call the Lord's Prayer. Right. Okay? or the model prayer, or within the Catholic Church, they call it the Our Father, right? And people have memorized this. People have recited it by rote. They just go through it without thinking, and it becomes what is actually taught in that passage. It becomes vain repetition. Yeah. And Jesus isn't saying whenever he gives them this, just repeat these words. I think really what he's doing in this is he is giving them somewhat of his prayer list. Mm -hmm. He's giving them an idea of the things that he is praying about. And so whenever they are praying, they go down through what it says, our Father, that's showing their relationship. This would have been uh, groundbreaking to the Jews to think of God as their Father, of coming to him in that kind of a relationship because God had always been their king, not their father. Right. You come to a king differently than you do a father. Yeah. And so whenever Jesus says, come to him, our Father which art in heaven, that's his location, that he is above all things, that he sees all things, he knows all things. He's not just a mere man. He's not just some earthly being, but he's our father, but he's also in heaven. Mm -hmm. He says, hallowed be thy name. Whenever you see that word hallowed, it means it's separate, it is special. You have a name that is above all names. Right. You're not just some God, you are God. Yeah. You're not just an idol. You're not one of man's imaginings but you are the God that is above all, that sees all, but relates to me as my Father. Mm -hmm. That brings it down and makes it a little bit more special. Yeah. Hallowed be thy name. Uh, thy kingdom come. I Though you're my Father, I want you to be in control. I want you to be carrying out your will on this earth as it is in heaven, right? You're ruling over everything up there. You do all things well. This place down here is a mess. We've turned it over to the devil. He's got things in a mess. I desire, God, for your will to be done on this earth like it is in heaven. And that's our desires. We're praying. We're saying, God, I want your will, not mine, to be done. Your will, not this world, not this devil, not all these other things that are going on. God, if you were just in control of this down here, God, if you were just working all of these things together, as you said, for good, that's what I want. Yeah. That's what my desire is. So uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That is an admission that although we take for granted that we have a pantry full, that we have a belly full, we have pl plenty of food, uh, we can have all kinds of groceries in the house, 
go and open up the refrigerator and say, there's nothing to eat. Right? But whenever we say, give us this day our daily bread, we're saying that I have nothing unless you give it to me. The Bible says that all every good gift, every perfect gift cometh down from above, right? Mm -hmm. You don't even have the air that you breathe without God giving it to you. Mm -hmm. You say, well, I've got a good job. I make money. I do all these things. I've provided for myself. No, God has enabled you to do that. He's given you the physical abilities. He's given you the mental faculties. He has given you uh, the connections. He's brought those things together. And you could easily not have that tomorrow. You could easily lose your mental faculties. You could easily lose your physical abilities. You could lose the job. You could lose all of these different things in an instant. It is God that keeps all of these things going. It is him that provides for us with our daily bread. And we take it for granted. We think that we have done this, but even our daily bread comes from him. And if he doesn't continue to take care of us and doesn't continue to provide for us, then we have nothing. So give us this day our daily bread. What's the next part? Yeah. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It is a reminder to us because we are prone to holding grudges. We're prone to being spiteful and judgmental of everyone else. But whenever we realize that God has forgiven us of so much greater sins against him than anyone else has ever committed against us, it makes us grateful to him. It makes us beggars in a way because we're like, God, if, if that person would have done it to me, I would have held it over their head for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. But you forgive me so graciously. Yeah. You love me in spite of my failures. Help me to forgive others like you have forgiven me. Right? right? So forgive forgive us, or that's we forgive our debtors. Uh, deliver us from evil. Yeah, lead us not into temptation. Yeah, I'm trying to do it from memory. And you've said it probably a lot more times than I have, so you got to memorize, right? But anyway... <laughs> So uh, lead us not into temptation. Now we know that God doesn't lead us into temptation. But it's this plea that God would safeguard. He would protect us from the trials and troubles that come our way. And that even if uh, we aren't kept from them, we want him to keep us through them. So deliver us from evil. Satan desires to devour us. He desires to sift us like he did Peter. And we're praying for God's strength to deliver us because we don't have strength of our own. And it says, For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. It's a reminder that all things come from him, but it all relates to the fact that we can come to him as a father. So as I said, this is Jesus giving his disciples an idea of their attitude, their uh, way of coming to God and putting things into perspective for them so that they're going to be praying as he would. Okay? And so it is important for us to be, uh, to be praying. If we go beyond the Gospels, we find that Peter was praying in jail. We find that he was praying at midday uh, on the roof whenever he received the vision about the, the sheep being let down from heaven with the animals in it, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. We find him praying quite often. We find that there was a prayer meeting whenever he was in jail that he would be delivered, and God answered the prayer. Paul was often found praying. His epistles are full of statements talking about the things that he is praying for, the desires that he has for the churches that he's planted, for the the believers that he knows, for the pastors and the preachers that he's in fellowship with. He's going through and he's saying, I'm praying this in this situation. I'm praying that this happens to you. I'm praying that you grow in this area. I'm praying that God protects you from this. 
And then on top of that, in almost every one of his epistles, he writes and says, pray specifically for me about this situation. Pray for me that this would happen. Pray that God gives me uh, utterance here, that he gives me the boldness to speak here, that he gives me an opportunity here. Pray that uh, all these different things, constantly he's saying, I'm praying for you, be praying for me. In uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, uh, he told the Thessalonians, uh, pray without ceasing. James told his audience, you have not because you ask not, in James chapter 4 and verse number 2. And so as we go through all these passages all throughout the New Testament, we see prayer from beginning to end, right? And so we should be getting the idea that prayer is important. Mm -hmm. So with all that, the question comes, what is prayer? Speaking to, yeah, speaking to God. Just very simply put, the word pray means to ask. And it's often used that way in Scripture. I pray you this. I'm asking for something. Mm -hmm. To pray means to ask. Right. And that comes back to what we said in James chapter 4 and verse 2. You have not because you ask not. Yeah. You haven't prayed about it. And so it means to ask. It's not some incantation. It's not a recitation. It's not a magic spell. It's not some way of trying to uh, gain God's favor or get his attention or somehow to uh, tip the scales in our favor with God. But instead, it is about the child of God going to their Heavenly Father for help, for guidance, to, for direction, to ask for what they need and for what they want. Mm -hmm. Does it seem weird to us that we can go to God and ask for what we want? Okay. Mm -hmm. And with that, I don't know if that's necessarily unique to Catholicism because I know even myself a lot of times I struggle with, is this serious enough to take to God? Do I want to bother God with this? Sometimes I go to God feeling, and some of it's just the culture that I come from, uh, the way that, and they can testify to this one, that where we come from, you don't ask anyone for anything, right? You. But yeah, from where we're at, it's a very, I guess it's a very uh, 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 proud culture where you bring yourself up by your bootstraps, right? And so you don't ask anyone anything. You don't burden anyone with anything. And it carries into our Christianity. It carries into our relationship with God where it's like, okay, I don't ask God until it's out of my control, until I'm over my head. So it goes back to like we were talking about with Peter the other day, whenever they were on the ship and it was full of water, they were about to sink. And finally, uh, Peter comes to the end of his own and he reaches out to Jesus and he says, carest thou not that we perish. But he waited until he had lost all hope in himself before he'd ever reach out to Jesus, right? When Jesus was there all along and 
the first cloud that came in, he said, hey, Jesus, it looks like there's a storm coming. Could you help us through this? He's like, no, I've got this. Until he didn't, right? But whenever I was asking there a minute ago about the idea of going to God and asking for the things that we want, uh, as we're talking about that, we go to him with our needs whenever it comes a large need. But think about just coming to him and asking for the things that we want. That seems a little bit more foreign, doesn't it? Especially with the idea that God doesn't have time for me. And with what you're talking about with the Catholic faith, uh, that goes into the teachings as well there, that, well, you can't come directly to God, you have to go through someone else. Because God's too busy, so I need to pray to this saint or to that saint, or pray through Mary or one of these, because God's not going to listen to me, but if Saint so-and-so comes, then that's maybe he'll listen to them. Uh, a story of that from this past couple weeks, Emily lost her wallet, Okay. And we went down to the local store there in the middle of town. And there's a lady that works there that owns it and everything that is extremely Catholic. And so I asked her, I said, by any chance, did anyone turn a wallet in here? Did my daughter leave it here whenever she came and got uh, picked up stuff here? She's like, no, I haven't seen one. But she said, what you need to do, she says, you need to go to, or you need to pray to St. Anthony. <laughs> said, you need to pray to St. Anthony and say three Hail Marys and put money in the poor box. And if you do this magical recipe, then your wall will appear, I guess. Okay? But it was the idea of you got to go to St. Anthony, you don't go to God. The girls went down the other day and they said, hey, we found the wallet. And uh, she started the whole thing about St. Anthony. And she said, oh, you can talk to him just like you talk to a friend. And, she, and I think it was Lydia said, oh, you mean that I could talk to him just like I do God? And that was a foreign concept to her. That you could talk to God that way. But this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples, is you can talk to God that way. Okay? And by the way, just a side note on the whole St. Anthony and St. This and that and the other, that is paganism. That is idolatry. Because you are giving those dead saints godhood. Because if you're praying to St. Anthony, you are saying that he is omnipresent you're giving him the qualities of God, right? Whenever we find throughout Scripture, there is nowhere that talks about praying to the dead, praying to anyone who has, uh, no matter a saint or a sinner, uh, if it was the Virgin Mary, if it was uh, St. Anthony, St. Jude, St. Paul, that they are in heaven, and honestly, they're not too concerned about the goings on down here. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels. That's the saints. They're in the presence of the angels, right? right? There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repents, but they couldn't care less about your wallet. <laughs> they are up there glorifying God. And so to say that we're praying to anyone besides God is giving them God's attributes, God's quality, and it's elevating dead human beings to the level of godhood yeah. and that's idolatry right. and that is reworn paganism having a whole plethora of gods like the romans like the greeks and all these others that you look at with uh, a god for this a god for that right same thing so anyway that was a side note 
So to pray means to ask. And so we come to him as a child coming to their father, and we can ask him for the things that we need, for the things that we want. And uh, next thing I'll look at here is our invitation to prayer. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to his throne of grace. We may obtain, uh, let us there come boldly, uh, and we may obtain grace. Let me go ahead and turn it. It is, but I'm, I'm misquoting it at the moment, so I want to turn over there. Hebrews 4, verse number 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So there's an invitation there. We can come boldly directly to God, right? And I, I do have a little bit of trouble with being bold in my prayer life. Yeah. It tells us that we can come boldly, right? Because we are his children. We have that wall of partition that is broken down. We no longer have to go through a priest. We don't have to uh, worry about offering up offerings and sacrifices and covering our sin because Jesus has covered our sin. He has shed his blood. He has atoned for our sin. He has reconciled us to God. We are heirs and joint heirs with him. There is nothing that separates us from God. We can now come boldly to him as his child. As a matter of fact, Scripture lets us know that whenever God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And so as we come before him, it is as if Jesus comes before him because we are in Christ. It tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Yeah. And so we can come boldly. First uh, Peter chapter 5, and verse 7, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Doesn't say casting the, casting the, the big problems on him. But if it's something big enough for you to care about, he cares about it. Right? right? Uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, Be careful for nothing but all things uh, by, prayer and supplica or by prayer and supplication make your request known unto God. And so all things. And whoever says be careful for nothing, that's being anxious for nothing. Don't be worried about anything. Take it all to him. Put it in his hands because he is able to handle it. And... Too often in our lives, we think of ourselves when it comes to prayer. And what I mean by that is we know our faults, we see our failures, we think of ourselves unworthy to come to Him. And whenever we look at prayer, the invitation is just much like it is with salvation, right? Because with salvation, it is based on who He is, not on who we are. It's based on what he has done, not what we have done. Uh -huh. So whenever we come to him in prayer, it is based on him. It's based on his love. It's based on his ability. It's based on who he is, irregardless of who we are. Uh -huh. So whenever Satan throws our attention back on ourselves and says, do you think God really cares? Do you think he's going to listen to you after what you did, after the way you've acted, after the way that you have been? Do you think God is going to listen to you? Yes, he is. Because my sins are covered. I am a child of God. I am accepted in the beloved, right? And so he's going to listen. And so in like manner, with salvation, it is about our faith in Him. Yeah. Prayer is about our faith in Him. Mm -hmm. 
And so think about it this way. Whatever it says, you have not because you ask not. Why do we ask not? We don't think they'll be answered. And so, what would that be called? Unbelief. Unbelief. No faith, right? Mm -hmm. Why is it that Peter didn't come to Christ whenever the ship was being filled with water and was about to sink? Why didn't he come to Christ before he came to him with condemnation saying, do you not care? At the end of that, Jesus comes to Peter and says, where is your faith. He says, you didn't come to me first. You didn't think I cared because of a lack of faith. You can measure your faith by your prayer life because the more you trust God, the more you believe, the more you think that he cares, that he's there, that he is able, that he is willing, the more that you relate to him as who he is, the more you're going to pray. Mm -hmm. Whenever you realize that he is there, that he does care, that he is more than capable of answering any prayer, any request that you have, then you're going to be taking all things to him. Yeah. You see a couple of prayers answered, it's going to become addictive. You're going to be taking more and more and more to him, right? Yes. And so you can measure your faith by your prayer life. And so um, you pray and you ask because you know that you can't do it but you know that he can. That's another thing that keeps us from going to God in prayer is we have to get to the end of ourselves. Yeah. So as long as we're still relying on ourselves, as long as we still think we can do it, we're trying to figure it out, we don't pray. You're struggling at home. You're struggling at work. You're having problems with different things in your life. Maybe there's health issues. Maybe there's whatever going on. And you're like, I'll figure it out. I think this is more, more prevalent in men. But it's both. But it's, okay, I've got to figure this out. I've got to get to an answer. I've got to search. I've got to, by my own wisdom, my own abilities, by my own connections, somehow I've got to find an end to this. I've got to fix it. <laughs> and whenever we have that idea, I've got to fix it, we're not going to turn to God because we're still trusting in self. That's why many people don't get saved is because they're still trying to work it out. They're still trying to improve themselves. They're still trying to clean themselves up. They're not trying to go through a, enough religious ceremonies, religious activities. They're trying to give enough, do enough. They're still trying to do it themselves. And whenever they come to the place where they say, I'm not able to save me. I'm not able to pay for my sins. I need Jesus to do it for me. That's the moment they get saved, right? Follows through as well whenever we are talking about prayer is whenever I come to the end of myself and say, okay, I need God's help. I'm tired of beating my head against the wall. I'm tired of trying to figure it out myself. God has invited me to cast all my cares upon him. God has invited me to do all of these things. Why am I still trying to do it myself whenever I could take his yoke upon me and learn of him? Because his burden is easy. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And so we don't pray because we're either still depending on self or we don't think we can depend on him. And so in reality, we can take every care, every concern, every problem, or every desire to God. We come to him, as I said already, as a child to the father. But like a child with their father, the condition of their relationship and their knowledge 
of their father is going to play a major role in how they pray and how they're answered. Mm -hmm. Okay? And so think about this. Uh, my children have a relationship with me. They understand uh, a lot about the way I do things, the way that I think, the things that I like, the things that I approve of, the things that I don't like, right? Mm -hmm. And so they can come to me and they can ask for things that they know is going to be against my will and get denied, right? <laughs> you come asking for sinful things or things that are harmful to you, you come praying for those kind of things, you're not going to have your prayers answered, right? God, give me a million bucks. God knows if he gives you a million bucks, he'll never see you again. Right? So he's probably not going to answer that prayer. But that's just a silly example. But with our relationship of a father to their children, if their children are being total heathens and sin and wickedness and all kinds of things, uh, how prone is their father going to be to give them good things whenever they are living contrary to his will and contrary to the way that they've been taught? Right? But whenever we're living a life that is pleasing to him, obedient to him, whenever we understand his heart, when we understand uh, his will and we uh, desire the things that he desires, we come to him, we ask, we receive of him, right? Mm -hmm. And so it comes back to that relationship. Whenever it says you have not because you ask not, and you ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your own lusts. In other words, you are trying to put yourself in the driver's seat and use God as your genie to fulfill all of your fleshly lusts, God's not going to do that because it is harmful to you. He loves you too much to fulfill prayers that are harmful to you. Yeah. Right? So we see these things going on. We don't pray to convince God, but we pray to express faith and we pray to express dependence upon God. Mm -hmm. And so whenever we're praying to God, whenever our focus comes on Him, our focus comes off of ourselves and off of our problem, right. which is where uh, our focus needs to be. It needs to be on Him. It changes our heart. It puts things in perspective. Prayer changes us. It doesn't change God. And so if we think that in our prayers we're going to strong-arm God, that somehow we're going to come to Him with a convincing enough argument to try to get our will and our wishes, we are having the wrong approach to prayer, Right? So we come to him as his children, him as our loving father. We are seeking our, we're seeking help. We're seeking our wants and our desires. And we are trusting him to take care of us and to respond to those things accordingly. And so our last thing that we're going to look at and we're going to quit is just some practical advice on prayer or how to pray. And with that, I'm not going to give a formula for prayer. Because prayer is not meant to be mechanical. Right. Okay? Prayer is not meant to be mechanical. If you're going through and you're reciting things mechanically, if you're just going through the motions, then that's not prayer. Right. That's not communication. If I'm coming to my wife every day and reading off the same love letter every day, out of habit, every day, 9 o'clock in the morning, I come to her, I read off the same thing every day, and then that's our communication for the day of that. Is that a relationship? Is that communication? Okay. So anyway, I am going to give some uh, some practical, maybe biblical uh, principles on this. Um, I think, unfortunately, private prayer is something that's misunderstood because it's not taught or modeled. Mm -hmm. 
and I've said this before, but most people, the only prayers that they ever hear, ever hear is public prayers. And you pray differently publicly than you do privately, yeah. or you should, right? Yeah. Like whenever, if I'm calling someone to pray during church, are they going to pray in the same manner they would in their private time alone with God? Yeah. And is that being a hypocrite? Is that being too? Fa is that is there something wrong with that? No, no. because you're you speak differently depending on the audience. And you say, well, I'm praying, I'm praying to God, right? But even in public prayer, we find that Jesus in John chapter 11, verse number 42, Jesus prays to God publicly before everyone. And he says specifically, God, I know you hear me always. I don't say this for your sake or something like that, but for those who are hearing me. And so the things that Jesus was praying was not for his sake, for God's sake, but for the ones that were listening, he says, I know you hear me always, but I pray this because of those that are listening. Yeah. Okay. So whenever we're praying public, an aspect of it is we are praying for the others that's going to be hearing us as well. It should be an encouragement. It should be a help. Whenever people have a prayer request and hear you actually pray for their prayer request, mm -hmm. it's like, hey, someone's praying for me. It's encouraging, right? Yeah. But whenever that's the only kind of prayers that we ever hear, we're just kind of left to our own to figure out how to pray from there. Right? Yeah. And so a lot of times our prayers in private try to mimic those things that we hear in public. Mm -hmm. And they end up being formal, ceremonial, yeah. dry. Right? I've known of people who, uh, to pray, that thought that they had to be very formal and almost, almost pray in the King James speech, you know. Elizabethan English, that kind of thing. And as if they have to go through some kind of formula, some kind of ritual in order to pray. And that's not the case. I believe in private prayer. One thing that's important for us, uh, we need to have a place. Just in what we are looking at here, Jesus was constantly going off by himself. He was finding a place. It doesn't mean that you have to have a designated place. It doesn't mean that you have to go to the same place every time. That if you're traveling, if you're on the road, then you're just out of luck because you can't get to your prayer closet. <laughs> but you need to designate somewhere that you can get aside privately and spend time with God. Okay. Another thing I think is important for us, and by the way, just a, a verse to go along with that, Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, he says, when you pray, enter into your closet. Okay. We don't have closets here. We have wardrobes and you won't fit in them. <laughs> But the idea is go somewhere private, close the door where the distractions are away from you. Okay? Uh, another thing, have a time. Uh, if it's not scheduled, it's not going to get done. Right. right? And I've known of people that tried to bring this down. You have to pray this way at this time. There is a lot of emphasis on doing it first thing of the day. And I think it's a good way to start your day. But everybody's got different schedules. What if you work third shift? Right. Your morning might be at 6 o'clock at night. You know? <laughs> But anyway, the idea behind this is that it needs to be something that is prioritized, that is marketed, set off and said, okay, I need to make sure that I uh, am blocking off a point of time during my day that I can get aside, that I can get away from uh, the hectic things of life and spend time in prayer with God. Okay? And so these are just practical, just simple things. Uh, and so as I said, if you don't schedule it, it won't happen. 
a good idea, I believe, is to have a prayer list. We put out a prayer list for church every month. But a good idea, and for me, okay, transparency here, uh, I don't do well with written lists. And whenever I pray, generally I have my eyes closed. It's hard to read that way. But, but whenever I pray, I do have a list in my mind that I go through. And we had a conversation after church about this here a couple weeks ago. And I have a list that I go through in my mind to keep things before me so that I'm able to pray about it. Just like I pray for everyone in the church every day. Okay. Every day I go through every single seat. I go through every single person. And if I know things that are going on in their lives, uh, it's not that I've got everything written out, but I have all the names in my head. I've got all the faces in my head. And I know what they're going through. I know what's happening in their lives uh, to an extent, what you all tell me. And I pray for them. And I go through and I pray, okay, be with this situation, that situation. They've got a lost loved one. They're having court date, having trouble with house, cars, different things. You know, I'm going through all these different issues and saying, Lord, intervene in this, help in this. And, and it helps me to be personal in all these requests and not be mem- uh, mechanical, but to be talking about all these things. Uh, and there's different things, not just our church family, but we've got family members, we've got lost neighbors, we've got friends, uh, praying for uh, government officials, praying for the work of the gospel going around this world and in our town here. All these different things that we go through, uh, it's good to have some sort of a way to keep track of them, keep them before our, our hearts and our minds so that we are reminded of them where we go to the Lord in prayer and we pray about each of these things. And once again, it's not that we are trying to convince God to do anything. And God, uh, Jesus says in one place that God knows the things that you have need of before you ask. Mm-hmm. Well, why do we ask? Because he wants us to be going to him in faith. He wants us to be trusting him. He wants us to ask him. I've given the example before of the, the kids whenever they were young, they would break their neck to try to do something themselves. They would be getting chairs and climbing on the cabinets, trying to get something off the top shelves whenever I'm standing right beside of them and I could have just scratched it to them, but they don't ask. And so while we're saying, God, I'll do it myself, he says, okay, have at it, but I'm here if you just ask. Mm-hmm. And so we go to him and we ask these things. Um, so prayer list is a good idea. Um, as you pray for others, also pray for yourself. This is something that I struggle with. I like to pray for others. I have a hard time asking for anything for myself. This goes back to what we were talking about earlier, right? Does anyone else have a problem with that? Is it just me? Am I weird? It's me. Okay. But as you're praying for others, make sure you're praying for yourself as well. And be honest with God. Go to Him. We we hide a lot of our problems. We try to act, you you sin and you try to act like God doesn't know about it. He does. Right? You're struggling with things, but you're afraid to mention it to God. He already knows, but he's just wondering why you won't come to him. Yeah. Right? Uh, another thing, take your time. Uh, I'm not saying, okay, this whole idea, sweet hour of prayer. Okay, you got to pray for an hour. No. But what I'm saying is don't rush. Okay? What we end up doing is we try to fit God in somewhere. We've got so many things on our schedule. We're so busy. We've got so many things to do. And so we will rush through prayer just to check it off the list and say we did it. And prayer is one of the most important things you're going to do during the day. And for us to rush through it or just try to shove it in somewhere, 
uh, is not doing it justice. We are missing out on great blessings if we're not prioritizing that. Okay? And it's, I talked about having a, a place. Uh, for years, what I would do, I would be going to work every morning. And that was my prayer closet, was the, the cab of the truck. Okay? And so as I was going, I was praying as I was going. Some people think you have to, you know, be in a certain position, laying prostrate. Pros, I always get prostate and prostrate, Miss Scott. That's <laughs> Those are very different. They, they are very different, but they sound a lot alike. There's the one song uh, that says, let angels prostrate fall. Yeah. And back in West Virginia, I've heard people sing it, let angels prostrate fall. I'm like, oh my. But anyway. <laughs> Poor angels. <laughs> Maybe that's what happened to the devil. The prostate fell the rest of it. But, uh, sorry guys. <laughs> but anyway, we need to find something that works for us. That's the last thing I was going to say here. Is find what works for you. Don't feel pressured by other people. We hear stories. I don't know if you all, but growing up and in church, we hear stories of how this person prayed and that person prayed and feel as if we have to imitate that. And that is so wrong. It, is, it messes you up bad in your heads and in your relationship with God because it is a personal relationship with God. You have a different personality. You have a different way of processing things and you have a personal relationship with God. You have to find out what works for you in your relationship with God. If I try to relate to my wife in the same way as Johnny down the road, my wife might not like what his wife likes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so that's just, that's a silly illustration, but where I pray and when I pray and what all I pray for, all these different things, you're going to have different needs. You're going to have a different way of thinking things through. And we've already established that some of the ways I think is weird. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And so anyway, uh, find what works best for you. But the most important thing is, is make sure that you're praying. Yeah. Okay? And so that's talking about private prayer. We talked a little bit about public prayer. But the last thing I don't want to say in all of this is in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Paul says, pray without ceasing. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? Does that mean that we're walking around with our eyes closed all day praying? No. Okay. And, and that's where I believe it is. There is the idea of persevering, but if we're not careful, the idea of persevering has this thought that we've got to talk God into it. Praying through, right? Have you ever heard that saying? Yeah. Praying through. And with it, it gives the idea that I've got to talk God into it. I've got to keep speaking. That I'll be heard for my much speaking. Isn't that the Bible somewhere? Mm -hmm. Talking about how the heathen pray. Mm -hmm. They think they'll be heard for their much speaking. Yeah. does say that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Yeah. But whenever he says pray without ceasing, the idea is to have an ongoing conversation with God, to keep the lines open, because God is always with us. The Lord said he would never leave us nor forsake us. And so as we are going through our day, the only time that we pray should not be our prayer closet prayer. It shouldn't just be that time, but it should be throughout the day as needs arise. Someone comes to you and says, could you help me pray about this? Why, yes, and pray about it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you have to stop traffic and wait, you know, shut down the restaurant and pray out loud for everybody. No, but pray about it at that time. They say, hey, can you pray for this? 
yeah, I'll be praying for this. And you know, they go on their way and say, Lord, please be with this situation. Because more than likely, if you don't pray about then, you won't pray about it later. Exactly. Right. You'll forget about it. It's gone. Mm-hmm. Okay? Whenever you're struggling with something, pray about it. I don't know how many times I've been under a car working on a car, and I'm struggling to get something through it. I'm starting to get aggravated. I've lost bolts, and I prayed about it. You say, oh, that's stupid. I've lost bolts, and I prayed about it, and they're upset. Right? And so pray without ceasing. Whenever someone comes to your mind, you ever just be walking down the road and a person popped in your head and you wonder, wonder why I thought of them. I haven't seen them in years. Maybe the Lord's trying to get you to pray for them. In that moment, pray about it. Whenever there's a struggle, whenever your mind starts drifting with, with you, say, Lord, help me with this. I know my, I shouldn't be thinking about these things. Whenever you sin, confess it immediately. Why do you let it pile up until the next morning when you go to the Lord in prayer? Yeah. Right? We pray without ceasing. It is a continual, it is an instantaneous, a spontaneous prayer. And so confess sin whenever you do it. Ask for help when you need it. Pray for a request when you hear them. And then one that I didn't mention is praise and thank at the place of the blessing. Yes. Whenever God does something for you, whenever there is something that happens, praise Him then. Right? You know, whenever Em was looking for her wallet for a week and she finally found it, praise the Lord, <laughs> you know, and pray about it, right? Thank Him for it. Give Him, uh, give him uh, praise at that time. Uh, let's see. So that's pretty much everything that I had to go over tonight. Does anyone have any questions or any comments, any extra thoughts on this? Yeah, just a couple of points. I mentioned public prayer. Um, I think it's something that we all struggle with. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's very hard to be the first person to pray or whatever, and it's not always necessary either. But it's really encouraging to hear mm-hmm. other people pray out there. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and it also helps you to see their heart. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what's going on, and, and mm-hmm. uh, whilst it's not necessary, mm-hmm. it's really encouraging. Mm-hmm. And the second point was we were talking earlier about you have not because you ask not, mm-hmm. and yet there sometimes it's just that God. Well, if he doesn't answer, it's not clear. For I can give an example of someone I knew who was praying. They had fertility issues, and there was no answer to that prayer. That's a really tough one. Or we've all prayed for unsaved loved ones and seen no um, answer to that prayer. Right. So um, I think that can pose a difficulty for a lot of people to pray. You know, so if you lock because mm-hmm. he's not listening, it's, it's a real test of your faith as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. So. So, yeah, the, the whole idea with it being a long time sometimes on some of those or not having prayers answered, that's whenever you have to realize that God is God and letting him be God. Even whenever Jesus prayed in the garden, he said, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus prayed a prayer that didn't get answered. He said, if it be, that, uh, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. It didn't pass from him. So think about that for a minute. Jesus had an unanswered prayer. Yeah. Because if his prayer would have been answered, we wouldn't be saved. Right. And so God worked out his will. He worked out what was best, right? Yeah. And so we have to allow for that. The thing about uh, unsaved people is God's not willing that any should perish, right. but he gives every man a free will. Mm-hmm. And he is not going to violate their free will no matter how much you pray for them. And we have to acknowledge that. We have to know that. And that comes back to our relationship with God and understanding His His heart, right? 
It's like, okay, God is working all things together for good. He understands my best. He has a, a plan for what's going about. He knows things that I don't. And so whenever I pray this and God decides not to answer it or to delay his answer, then I've got to trust he knows what he's doing and allow him to be God. Uh, the first point that you made as far as being the first one to pray, um, a lot of people don't like to pray out loud. A lot of people don't like to pray publicly. And I understand that. And I, I know in our church we tend to have uh, more introverts than anything. People are quiet and people are more reserved and all. But it is encouraging to hear people pray. I know a few weeks ago uh, during our prayer time, uh, both Noel and, and uh, Marie both prayed out loud. And I was like, hey, finally someone besides me. You know, and it was encouraging. I, I, I enjoyed that. I find it hard to start, but I will continue. Okay. Else. <laughs> and I understand I'm, I'm kind of the same way with that. Uh, I'm just in a different position. I'm required to do it. You know, I have, someone's got to. But yeah, it's a good thing. Anything else? Um. That's just one other thing there. Um, prayer can be really hard to start. Mm -hmm. I've found that it's not a formula, but for me, what works is to sing a hymn first. Mm -hmm. so, oh, praise and worship really mm -hmm. helps. Doesn't it? Or, yeah. you know, reading the word, praying something from the scriptures. Well, helps the atmosphere. I've heard different people doing that, and you all know I can't sing, so it's not something I regularly do. But to have that quiet time with God. And there's nothing wrong with going and praying, or not praying, but praising him in song. Mm -hmm. Along with that, we find, uh, uh, like David with the Psalms, uh, most of those are songs. Many of them are prayers. Mm -hmm. And it does go hand in hand. And so there, I believe it is a good thing to be uh, singing, praising him in that time with him. And so you're, you're singing, you're praying, you're reading his word. Uh, I, I like personally... I like to pray before I read. And so it's like getting my heart in the right place, my mind in the right place before I read his word. And I'm praying and saying, God, speak to me through your word. God, help me to focus and cause I'm, I'm rather ADHD or ADD. I don't know. I, I have problems focusing. So it's like, God, help me not to be distracted. Help me to read your word and to understand it. Speak to me through your word. And so that's what works for me. Now other people might read before they pray. They might sing. Maybe if you're a little bit Pentecostal, you might dance first. I don't know. <laughs> Anything else? One thing I was thinking there a minute ago, just like whenever we have prayer meeting for church and whenever we were starting out with uh, prayer, a lot of times people have a hard time speaking up in uh, asking for prayer or mentioning prayer requests, right? But there's also a lot of emphasis in Scripture of praying for one another, and I think we miss out a lot of times because we don't speak up and we don't have other people praying along with us. And it's important for us to be praying for one another. Something that I've been thinking for a while, whenever we have prayer requests and stuff on, on Wednesday night, uh, maybe this is a, a forewarning for you guys. I think it would be good if I would challenge you for everyone to give a praise, a personal request, and a request for someone else. What do you think? Think we could do that? Yeah. 
<laughs> one thing that you're thankful for, one thing that you'd like for us to pray for personally, and a person, family member, lost relative, something, to be praying for. So be thinking about that. Be something new for us to do. Okay. Let's go ahead and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, we'll call it quits tonight. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings and thank you for all that you do for us, Lord. And we thank you for the ability that we have to come to you in prayer, that you're always listening and that we have an open invitation to come to you boldly. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us, Lord, to get it into our hearts and into our minds, Lord, that you desire to hear from us and that we, uh, whenever we neglect prayer, that we are missing out on the blessings and benefits of uh, communicating and walking with you and uh, receiving that help and that grace that we need and that we have in the time of need, Lord. And Lord, we just pray that you'd be with us throughout this week. I just pray that you'd help and encourage each person here, be with those who uh, weren't able to be with us tonight and watch over them. And we thank you so much for all that you do. And always we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.